Thanks for tuning in to Trojan Talk again. I'm Ryan Young, and joined as always by Max Brown, my co-host, the former USC quarterback, the Trojans analyst, our Trojansports.com analyst for the 2019 season. We are going to discuss that ugly, ugly Oregon game, but also some other matters. Real quick, though, as you are accustomed to, i got to let you know about the free trial. This is the last week to take advantage. Now, the free trial actually goes through December 6th, but you got to sign up by the end of this week. So I want to make sure you're all aware of it. No commitment. It's totally risk-free. Just jump in, see if you like what we're doing, stay on if you want to. If not, you can get out. But it is a, it is a true free trial. Go to Trojansports.com on the homepage. You'll see a banner at the top. You'll see it in every story. The promo code is FREEUSC. That's FREEUSC to activate the free trial and get all of our premium content, our exclusive features, podcasts, columns, recruiting coverage, analysis, everything. We're going to have basketball coverage heating up with, with USC, getting ready to tip off its season on Tuesday night. So it's And obviously... As we'll discuss in the podcast, there's going to be a lot to talk about with the football program in the coming weeks and where it goes from here. The message board has been as lit as it's been all year right now. It's been a very active and lively discussion, so get in there. You can do it with no commitment, no cost, free trial. Take advantage of it. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Max, how are you? I'm great. This is always the tough part of our job is a negative game gives us a lot to talk about, which is good, but it's never fun because it's obviously uh, not the uh, not the outcome we wanted. There was nothing fun about Saturday. USC loses 56-24, to 24, but man, I, I, I've been racking my brain. I've covered college football for 10 years now. This is my 10th season at various places, and I don't know that I can recall a game pivoting so sharply and decisively. USC is up 10 nothing after the first quarter and probably should have been up by a lot more. They took full advantage of their opportunities. They were in full control of this game. And then Oregon reels off a 56-7 run, scores eight straight touchdowns. I, I still can't make sense of it. And after the game, there was just a palpable disbelief among the players. We were asking them all the same question, like, you know, how did this happen, basically, and, and, and what's your reaction to all this? And they were, they were as stunned as everyone who was in the Coliseum watching that game. Max, how do you put this in perspective? How do you make sense of the way that game got away from them so quickly and so dramatically? Yeah, I said it in the, in the pregame show. I was like, the key to this game, uh, you can always say turnovers in every game. It feels like that's the cop-out, but it felt like this was especially the case. But the, the one key I said was, SC's got to keep on the gas, and if they have success early, to keep rolling with it because this is a good Oregon team. That's explosive. It can be explosive, and they, and they couldn't kind of lose opportunities. And that's kind of kind of what happened. I mean, you talk about go up 10-0, should have at least probably been 14-0. With I think to me in this in any college football game, any football game at any level, there's certain kind of boxes you check that kind of have a great impact on whether you win or lose a football game. And I think. In this game, SC did not check a lot of boxes. You talk about turnovers, not good there. Capitalizing off the turnovers you do get, not good there. Penalties, not the best. Finishing, uh, finishing second half, not the best. Special teams, not the best. It was kind of like when you really go down the checklist, I know some of the stats were comparable between the both teams, but in terms of the pivotal stats, I think SC didn't get it done and can kind of piece together why it was such a, such a lopsided loss when you talk about it. I mean, Oregon did get turnovers, and they scored touchdowns off of them. That, that's another big factor. So I think a bunch of things added up to a uh, very good football team beating a SC team that's trying to kind of find themselves. USC scores go up 7 nothing, and then later gets gifted great field position at the Ducks' 8. Isaiah Polam out interception. They get the ball at the 8, and they settle for a field goal there. And then, like you mentioned, the, the red zone turnover from Slovis – early in the second quarter, it's it's crazy to think about, especially given the way it ended up. This game, to me, reminded me too much of last season uh, in a couple ways. The strong start and just completely unable to sustain it. And then once things go bad, they just go bad and there's no coming back from it. And that hasn't been this team this year. I mean, just last week, we, the previous week, we saw them at Colorado come back from a tough situation and, and show a lot of heart and toughness and will and resilience and win that game. 
last year when things went bad, there was no coming back from it. And Saturday, there was clearly no coming back from it for this team. Yeah. And this is this is going to dovetail into our main first uh, segment here is the Clay Helton discussion. I wrote my post game column. Saturday just felt like the end for a lot of things. It felt like the end of this season having relevance and meaning. USC is now a game back in the Pac-12 South. Utah is likely not losing again. So you have to figure those hopes are over. That was kind of the thing they were clinging to as a way to to salvage the up-and-down start was, well, we can still win the Pac-12. Well, probably not now. And more than anything, though, it felt like an end to the Clay Helton era. I have a lot of thoughts there, but Max, do you share my belief on that, that that was kind of the the last piece to, to that puzzle? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it's always tough because I do some, some radio stuff for SC where they're, uh, they're paying my check, so it's always kind of a fine line. But sure, if we're just being sure. truth tellers, I, I, yeah, I don't think it's – yeah, so I, I say that only because if you listen to me on both spots, I never, never want to be two-faced or two-sided, but just that's kind of the nature of the deal. But the reality is – in some regard, and I felt it in kind of the post-game interviews and calls I was getting, is it kind of felt like it was almost a foregone conclusion. Like that was kind of the last straw, and it was almost kind of like everyone kind of knows it to an extent. There were there weren't as many heated like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? Like uh, this guy's got to go, this guy's got to go. It was almost like, yes, that that was almost like a given to an extent. Like that was kind of the the, the, the last the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And obviously, we don't know exactly what'll play out, but it feels like. With SC sitting at five and four, coming off the five and seven season, you've had talent, you've had some pieces, and then a bad loss like that against an Oregon team that is kind of, kind of taking over that power role a little bit. Especially, I mean, everyone brings up recruiting now and, and kind of that role that it plays. But I think this that that was probably the final straw. And I think it's interesting with just there's no AD and. Why has that not happened yet? And like, the, you need an 80 feet first before you make a decision. I think there's also the factor of Clay Helton's very respected amongst, mo- I mean, just about everyone in, in involved with SC. So it's probably not a matter of kind of running them out of town type vibe like some of these coaches are, where it's more more ruthless. There's probably a level of kind of kind of respect there, which might affect the timing. But by and large, uh, I think it's done. But I don't know, Ryan. What what do you make of the whole deal? Yeah, well, the, you know, the news came out last Friday that USC is going to hire Mike Bone from Cincinnati as its next athletic director. So, so, is, so is that is that like solid, locked in, good to go? Because I thought that was supposed to happen like today, right? Sign on the dotted line. Yeah, I mean, as we've learned, uh, USC takes a while to finalize any hiring. I mean, go back to last year when they first had Cliff Kingsbury and then Graham Harrell. All that stuff was reported by everybody as being a done deal like a week before it was actually announced by USC. So I I don't uh, give any uh, concern to the timing. It's whatever yeah. process that they go through to dot the I's and cross the T's. We expect a formal announcement and press conference later this week. That's the buzz at least. But So, so that, that domino is in place, and the next domino is what happens with Clay Helton. And we, I've said it all season long. He had to not just show improvement from from five and seven last year. He had to give a compelling reason to a new athletic director why he was the coach to lead this team into the future, and that's not possible now. That's not possible. Eight eight and four is the is the best case scenario in the in the middling bowl game, and that's just not going to do it. I mean, this team is ten and eleven since the start of the last season. Ten and eleven. Yep. USC football, 10 and 11 over almost two seasons. Recruiting is ranked in the mid-60s on the rivals' recruiting rankings, which is just incredible considering that this program had never finished lower than 12th before finishing 19th last year. There's no case to be made, and it's uh, it's not pleasant. It's, it's tough for a guy like Clay Helton, who has been a great representative of this university and this program. He is a great guy. He's a genuine guy. Anyone who's covered him is going to feel a tinge of sympathy for him, knowing that he's he's done this the right way and 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 in his way. But it just it didn't work. It didn't work, and you are judged by your results in the field. And when you're at one of these programs, the expectations are to be to be a top ten program, and and they're nowhere close to that right now. So the time has come. Change must happen. There's there's no way it doesn't happen. It's just a matter of timing now. And to your point. And building on what I just said, I do think out of respect he gets to finish this season. 
know Florida State just fired Willie Taggart uh, with a few games left. I, I don't think USC does that. I think, A, Mike Bone is going to want to get settled in for a few days before he's firing football coaches. So they'll take this probably in, right after the UCLA game, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, and yeah, don't don't get me wrong. I think yeah, I think it's the end of the road. But I, I think one thing that's a point that's at least worth bringing up is I think Willie Taggart's about to like set the record for the biggest buyout. I mean, yeah, yeah. I know I know Clay Helton's is huge too. And you talk about a school that is known for I mean, kind of probably has a perception that money grows on trees a little bit. But you talk about all the money the university is spending on various scandals and doctor issues and that whole deal and FBI investigations and all that. I think there, I mean, there is something to be said about, I think money is a factor. Do not get me wrong. I think it'll get done, but I don't think, I, I think, I think that's, that's a factor in terms of at least making people of authority, at least think about it more so than maybe uh, in years past with some of these SC firings. But like I said, I think it'll get done. It's just a timing thing. I think another factor is this early recruiting period, which everyone kind of brings up. And to me, I'm kind of the nature that. I don't think it's as make or break as people make it out to be. I think the reality is if if SC lands a big splash higher, they're going to get some guys. Sure, you're going to miss guys in the early signing period. But I think if there is a guy that has had his the corner of his eye poked out and looking at SC and kind of maybe doesn't like the where the school's at right now but loves the school kind of growing up from in the area, if SC gets a hire and that kid's intrigued, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a batch of kids that kind of extend their commitment a little bit and see it through to the end. But certainly a factor at play that I think was not the case when I was playing, when you when you had to let go of a Steve Sarkeesian, there wasn't really an early signing period to kind of to kind of waver with as much, which is come 2019 college football is certainly a factor at play. It's a huge factor. It's a huge factor, and we'll discuss on a later podcast where they go from here. We're not going to have the Urban Meyer talk now. It's it's funny to me that so many people are convinced they know what Carol Folt wants to do, and that this is predecided before an AD even comes in and takes over. Go back to the AD search itself. Nobody heard Mike Bone's name until last Friday when it was reported that he was going to be hired. There was no leak. There was no buzz leading up to it about him. You heard other names. That speaks to how tight of a lid Carol Folt has kept on those proceedings. And therefore, for anyone to claim that they have an insight into she wants Urban Meyer, she doesn't want Urban Meyer, nobody knows. Nobody knows. There's strong opinions on both sides. It'll play out. I'm not going to claim to know. We'll see what happens. But Urban Meyer is not a shoo-in. I I mean, I've... I walk the field on on game day, and I mean, I don't have elite ESPN sources, but the little the voices I talk to, it by no means is it is it a shoe in because I mean, I, I just I, I I think that that narrative and people SC fans kind of talking it into existence, should, could it happen? Sure, but I, by no means is it a shoe in. I was talking with someone before the game where it's. I mean, a guy was trying to convince me that because Urban Meyer's son plays baseball at Cincinnati, that though Urban Meyer's a shoe in because now uh, <laughs> Mike bombs. And I, I was, right. I literally, I literally stopped the guy and I was like, like, listen to yourself, man. I, I was kind of giving him, giving him crap. Like that connection feels like something that's just we're trying to talk into existence. So I'm of the camp where I see kind of a legacy build with Urban Meyer. If he were to kind of come and, and resurrect SC, sure, I get that. I totally see that. But uh, I've also heard the other side where he likes his Fox gig. He does have those health issues. And the amount of money he's asking for, that dollar amount, is bonkers. So who knows? That, that's my two cents on the deal. There's a lot of ways it can go a different direction. I, I mean, there's been rumblings about Notre Dame considering making a move off of Brian Kelly if, if Urban Meyer wants to come there. And everyone knows that that is a school he's always wanted to, to return to and be a head coach at. So if, if there becomes fire to the smoke there maybe he just chooses to go that direction maybe he chooses to sit out this season and another season maybe usc chooses not to take on everything that comes with urban meyer i mean there's a lot to sort through but yeah the the most curious narrative to emerge this last week was that mike bone has anything to do with closing a deal with urban meyer because he hired Luke Fickle off Urban Meyer's Ohio State staff, or because, like you mentioned, Meyer's son is at Cincinnati. Yeah, we're grasping uh, for answers. <laughs> th- those are those are such tangential connections that just that 
just blows my mind. We're going to have a longer talk about the AD at the end of this podcast, but we have to address the coaching stuff at the top. And like I said, the, the first domino was getting an AD in place. That's coming. The next domino is making a move. And then the third domino is figuring out who leads this program. And I would say this too. I fear that so many fans have gotten so far down the Urban Meyer path yep. that if it's not if it's not him, they're going to be disappointed. And I, I, I wouldn't be that way because there's a lot of great coaching candidates out there. And despite the state of the program these last two years, USC is still an incredible job and an incredible step up for many coaches. So they're going to be able to hire someone good. I know there's not a lot of goodwill faith in the university to make that the right decision, but we don't know how it's going to play out or or what Mike Bone's going to bring to the table or, or any of that. So I just just wait and see what happens here, and then judge. Let's not prejudge everything well in advance. No, I'm right with you. I think, and it is also a weird dynamic because like it, the fact that we're able to sit here and talk about it for ten minutes like it's a foregone conclusion kind of kind of shows you the state of of, of kind of what we've got into. But uh, no, I love your point about that. An example I always fall back on is SC fans were not pumped when Pete Carroll got hired, and so like we we know we know how that uh, that turned out. So I would just if you're an SC fan that's like you said so far down the urban train, I would hate for then SC to get a good name. Obviously, maybe not generational name or like all, all world name like urban meyer and then we're automatically upset or uh, automatically giving this guy the shortest leash of leashes because he's being compared to urban urban meyer so yeah that's not fair but it is also crazy because we got three games left no matter who's the head coach got three games left but don't get it don't get me wrong i think a, a blowout loss to oregon is uh, is not the standard sc set and that's that's a huge win for oregon too you talk about i saw, i talked about this in the pregame show SC was the leader of the conference in the 2000s. I mean, dominated, right? And Oregon wasn't to that level in the 2010s, but they definitely were kind of the ringleader of the conference. And so to kind of finish 2019, it looks like they're going to be the leader of the conference, or at least they're a leader over SC because they beat them. That's huge momentum for that program, just bigger than 2019, because I'm 24 years old. I remember the the days where SC was elite and great. But kids younger than me, especially these recruits that are, they're what, going on six, seven, eight years younger than me, they remember the organs. They remember Jeremiah Masoli, Darren Thomas, D'Anthony Thomas, like those type of guys. So not to make SC fans even more depressed, but I think that's that, that win was huge for kind of the state of the conference. Yeah, just to close the book on the Clay Helton discussion, I, in case anyone out there is curious why – I'm talking like this as if it's a done deal when it's not officially. I, I don't think anyone is. I think the fan base is pretty much unified on this front at this point. But it, just just look at recruiting. Uh, a, you can't have two seasons like this at USC back-to-back. It was a major gamble to bring Clay back after last year's 5-7 and seven debacle because of recruiting, because everyone was going to be wondering all year, is he going to make it beyond this season? You essentially... Not that he was a lame duck this whole time, because there was there was a, a chance. There's a narrative, an alternate reality where he could have delivered a big season and and got things back on course. But no one was going to buy in recruiting wise until that happened, and so they undermined themselves in this 2020 class. And if he were to come back, they would they would just have no chance to lure any top prospects because everyone would know it's just a matter of time it's just a matter of time so that as much as anything is why this has to happen and we'll just see how it plays out from there okay let's we're not going to dwell on the game too much but there are some points from the game that have some relevance moving forward that i do want to hit on i want to get max's take on and let's start with keaton slovis Um, we've had so many keaton slovis discussions this season some good, some, you know, about him looking like a freshman. Highs and lows, that's, that's been the story of his season. And it was not great on Saturday. He, he has three interceptions and a costly fumble. Also passes for three touchdowns, 264 yards. Max, overall, what did you see from Keaton Slovis? What was your conclusion or, or your verdict watching him in that game? Yeah, same kind of verdict we've seen throughout the year. I mean, when he's on, he's he's special. I think we saw it in that first touchdown uh, touchdown throw to Drake London. He's kind of able to move around, do some different things, uh, lively arm, like all those things we knew we know he can do. We, he saw he showed in those games, but it's that it's those catastrophic mistakes, and it's kind of the narrative we heard Graham talk about. Ryan, I heard you talk about it in the beginning of the year a little bit in terms of 
that's maybe the factor why he lost this quarterback job is sure the talent's there, but it was that catastrophic mistake that he couldn't or that he had a hard time avoiding that kind of always kind of reared its ugly head. We saw it versus BYU and then saw it today, uh, two days ago, I guess, against against Oregon. But yeah, those three three picks were tough. I mean, that first one, Drake, the Drake London off his hand, uh, it was kind of funny because it was a similar miscommunication or a, at least a quarterback mishap as Justin Herbert's uh, interception. Played off differently. Herbert's obviously didn't get tipped by the receiver, but kind of expecting a guy to sit in a window or at least d- don't throw an accurate ball in that window. It gets tipped, interception. All right, there's one. That one, sure, inaccurate throw. Young quarterback happens. The pick six. That's probably the worst one. And to me, if, you, if, if you're listening to this and you heard me on the radio show after the game, I kind of was saying, oh, well, he got hit, so he wasn't able to get as much mustard on it. That's what I saw, and I was totally wrong. That was not the, that was not the case. I think he just didn't see the guy. And I think, yeah, I, I, at first I thought he was throwing it into a tight window and was going to have his receiver kind of toe-tap a comeback on the sideline. But I think, yeah, he just missed that, uh, that dropping backer. And to me, when you lose track of, that guy, of a guy like that, Maybe you're losing focus, your head somewhere else, and that was just that was, that was crucial because you talk about pick six. It's one thing to throw an interception, but to get points off it, and especially at that point in the game where Oregon wasn't totally rolling, that kind of really started the snowball effect. That one was huge, and just uh, that was a bad mistake. And then the third one, uh, Lenore's pick. Slovis was trying to anticipate a dig route to Tyler Vaughn's. Vaughn's, uh, Oregon does a little bracket coverage, so they were super physical with them. Vaughn's falls down. That ball's still thrown. Easy pick by Lenore. And two points off that. One, Oregon leads the country in interceptions. They did before the game. Now they have 17 total interceptions. That's a lot of picks. So this is something that they've been doing all year long. What's, what's ironic is their defensive back coach was SC's de- defensive back coach when I was there. So... It's always funny. A guy gets fired, uh, resurrects somewhere else, and now is leading uh, one of the best groups in in the uh, in the country. So uh, Keith Hayward, I was searching for his name there. Hayward. So funny how that works. And two, I was impressed with Oregon's uh, secondary. I didn't think they backed off against SC at all. They were physical. I think they respected SC's receivers, obviously. But uh, I thought they were in their their hip pocket all game long. I thought they made it tough, and that's kind of their mo. But uh, by and large, I think Slovis, you saw the great, you saw what makes SC fans excited about the future, but those critical mistakes are why it makes you nervous you start a true freshman quarterback. It makes you nervous when kind of maybe he throws one pick that it might have a, a snowball effect and lead to two or three. I think we saw some of the young quarterback characteristics out of Slovis that we did not see with Justin Herbert, where he throws a pick early, doesn't get affected, bounces back, has a pretty solid game. I give Keaton a pass on the third one with, with Vaughn's falling down, but the other two bad decisions. The pick six might have been the worst throw I've seen him make all season long, or worst decision at, at the least. And you touched on it earlier about the QB competition in the preseason, and there was just there was so much conspiracy theory as to how it ended up that way, and, and, and why was this guy here and this guy here, and if they're so high on Slovis, why was he behind JT? Was it Clay Helton making them put JT first? I think what's played out this season has really validated that ordering that we see that Keaton Slovis does have really big potential and upside, and it's clear, and then he can have some huge games. So it's no longer a mystery as to why he passed the veteran guys for that two spot. But we also see that maybe a season JT Daniels would have been a little less erratic this year. And you can argue who has the greater upside between him and Slovis, but I think if the season plays out with JT, there's a few less mistakes. It just basically, you know, Keaton's a freshman. He's going and to maybe a couple time. more wins. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've been on that train all, all season long, and it was never a knock on on Keaton Slovis. He's a true freshman. This is how I expect a true freshman quarterback to play, especially a talented one. You're going to see that talent and potential, but he has to learn at some point. Uh, how do you learn lessons? You learn lessons by things happening and you processing it and, and incorporating that into the future. You, you can't just buy that education it happens JT learned last year he had a rough freshman season he learned I think he was gonna be better for that so that's why JT was number one on the depth chart entering the season and I think it might have been a little different if he had stayed healthy but yeah. I don't think anyone I don't think anyone doubts Keaton Slovis's potential based on what we saw this year we've seen too many moments that are really inspiring and 
you take the good with the bad. And here's a classic example. His first touchdown on that first drive uh, Saturday where he's dancing and moving all through the pocket. He's going left. He's going up. He's going back. He's going right. He's going up until he finds the open guy for the touchdown. That's a part of what makes him special. That's also what led to his fumble in the red zone later on there when he was trying to buy time and buy time and didn't have a clock in his head and couldn't feel the pressure behind him, gets hit and fumbles. So you take the good with the bad. He did the same thing in both plays in my eyes. It worked out great in one, bad in the other respect, and he'll learn from it and move forward. Yep. No, I'm glad you touched on that. It was stuff he got away with a week ago at Colorado, right? Fumbles or the ball was on the turf a little bit, but a catastrophic mistake doesn't happen from him kind of holding the ball a little bit too long, but then holds it too long, obviously, like you said, and pays the price. To me, that's just that fine line. But no, I'm right with you. I think to me, I kind of come at it from a quarterback lens and that the second Keaton Slovis goes out there as a true freshman, like my ceiling for what I'm expecting is like only so high. Like I just... Like some of the, it's just he's true freshman. He's only seen so many looks. Like the, the, this, these things just happen. SC fans, you've seen it with JT Daniels last year as a bigger crew. You saw it with Matt Barkley back in two thousand nine. Like these, Matt Barkley's still in the NFL. I know he's not maybe the re- record breaker or whatever, but he's a very good quarterback. Yet his production's only so high as a true freshman because the learning curve is so steep. So your point about learning is spot on. And man, is it interesting to kind of kind of go through the what ifs if you do have a JT Daniels you probably beat BYU I think most people would probably agree with that that a season JT Daniels doesn't make those mistakes and then do you that Washington game is probably a lot interesting too and then from there obviously a win changes up the whole things but this season could be a whole lot different if if that one hit early in Fresno State doesn't happen and football those things happen but it's just crazy when you talk about an entire program changing and, and whatnot. Who knows yes. where we would have been if, if JT Daniels stayed healthy and this offense stayed cooking like we saw that first half of Fresno State. Yeah, I, I started making that point early in the fall and people got on me for it and, and thought I was pushing that too hard. It's just, it's just what I feel. I just And if you're Clay Helton, you have to have the ultimate what if. That, that your tenure, again, we're assuming, is coming to an end now and you have to look back and go, I didn't have my guy all year, though. Like, what if, what if I had my guy, the, the guy that I built this entire offseason and, and, and playing around? It could have been different. Well, we'll never know. But going back to the game, if we asked every player afterward, when did you feel this game slipping away? The answer was unanimous. It was the pick six and then the kickoff return touchdown before halftime. Clay Helton has been heavily scrutinized for – kicking off and giving Oregon that chance. Obviously, John Baxter has been the subject of much criticism over the years, and he's a guy that Clay has been very loyal to. He was asked on his Sunday media call if he was still confident in John Baxter in the direction of the special teams unit, and he didn't back down at all. He said, I'm always confident in John Baxter. Well, that moment might loom the largest in terms of the fate of this season and of that game kind of being the final the final thing for him and, and his future. What did you think of the, of the just decision to kick off with 20 seconds left in the first half and to give Oregon that chance? Yeah, I was kind of obviously thumbing through it in my head. I'm not on one side. I'm not on the side of it's the dumbest thing ever. What the heck are they doing? I don't think I would have kicked off full ways, but I can at least see a potential argument where if you pooch it, they get a run to the 40-yard line, Herbert, who's supposed to be a top five NFL quarterback, does what he does and gets a chunk play, which he's great at, and then you're in field goal range, that kind of thing. I can kind of see that. I also know how John Baxter's wired, and he's going to trust his guys. He's, he's going to say, we've been going over this a million times during the week, and we just got to execute our lanes, and we'll swarm them, and we'll trap them, and that kind of trust, I guess you could say. I know how he's wired in that regard, so I can see how they got to it. But at the end of the day, it was a bad decision. It was a bad, bad decision, especially with maybe that new fair catch rule where you kind of trap them into maybe fair, fair catching if you do like a little pooch kick type thing. But at the end of the day, there was only 20 seconds, like, like you said. Uh, with a kickoff, there only would have been 14 seconds probably to run to try to run plays. It's not like we're talking the week earlier when Oregon got a minute left to drive the game to beat Washington State. I know different scenarios, but a minute left. A minute's a lot different than 14 seconds. So 
to me, I think you got to pooch. you got to cover bad decision, but I don't think it's – I'm not of the camp like I heard Urban Meyer absolutely ripped him a new one like it was the dumbest thing he's ever seen. I'm not that far, but I, I definitely think it was a bad decision. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. I, I, in the moment, I wasn't so struck by that, but, but that has been the reaction and the narrative. Let's address another decision from this game. And it was what we expected going in, a very heavy passing attack. We talked about it in the preview podcast. We did not expect them to lean heavily on the rushing game again like they did in the previous week. There's just a, a limit to what they think that they can put on Keenan Christian's shoulders at this point, and there's such thin depth behind him. And breaking down the game, you kind of signaled out that while this Oregon secondary is opportunistic and makes big plays, that that was also the vulnerability for USC to attack. And that was their mindset. They come out, passed 42 times in the first half, handed off 10 times. And because it didn't work out, everyone was quick to jump on that on that cause and, and hammer that decision. I didn't have the biggest issue with it. Maybe, maybe you, there's a little compromise and a little more balance you can have there. But I, I thought they had to come out with a heavy passing attack, and that was their best chance. What did you think of just the, the way they approached this game offensively with the game plan and, and the volume that they put on Keaton Slovis' shoulders? Yeah, this is a non-issue to me. I, I don't. I, I'm I'm confused why people are so heated of this. I get the old school SC fan that wants the old days of just kind of USC football under center ground and pound. But the second you hired Graham Harrell, I'm surprised this is the first time we've seen this. This is what we should have seen three or four exactly. times already. Exactly. This is the air raid. You're passing the ball. You want explosion. You want. And uh, anytime it doesn't work, people always say it's oh, it's just a. What's the word people? A nuanced offense or whatever the word people use is. But to me, like you're walking into this game, your biggest threat is the fact that you can roll out three NFL receivers and soon to probably be a fourth in Drake London. Four receivers, let's throw the rock. Let's not lean on our fourth and fifth string running backs with the play caller who's not used to calling run plays with an offense that doesn't have an exhaustive list of run run concepts. Like to me, this is a non-issue. I was totally fine with the game plan. I love that, hey, even if your quarterback is making mistakes, you're still going back to him. And don't get me wrong, sure, could you tinker, find some easy throws, sure, but Keaton Slovis, by now he's pretty much a sophomore. He's played some ball, and so I don't have any issue with it. This is what air raid offenses do. This is what we signed up for. If you want Graham Harrell to call his offense and be Graham Harrell, this is what you get, and like I said, I'm I'm surprised we haven't seen this earlier in the year. The fact that it came in late, I think it has a bad look because it kind of shows, oh, we were – we, we weren't sticking to the plan because we were down or whatever. We got to run the ball, all that stuff. No, I don't buy that. I think it's clear Keenan Christian, they don't necessarily have the confidence in him to, to tote the rock 20, 30 times a game. Can't blame him. He's a true freshman guy. So I have no problem with this game plan. It's like you're taking the thoughts right out of my head and making them your own. I mean, I, Love it. I, I, was, argue, I was arguing on the message board with, with guys all through the game. I'm like, Pretty much the same thing you're saying. Like this is what we signed up for with Graham Harrell, and I've made this point previously, and I'll make it again. I think we might have seen it more often if JT didn't get hurt. Remember, he threw the ball 34 times in the first half against Fresno State. Keaton throws it 42 times in the first half here. You don't want to end up. You don't want to double that and end up with 80 passing attempts. But I, I don't think that was the plan. I, I think it was you know game flow and stuff. But. This is what we expected all year, and we didn't get it. And now that we're getting it, everyone's upset because it didn't work out in this game. It just didn't work out. I don't think it was the wrong plan. Yeah, and at the end of the day, the one sentence that sums it up to me is, if you're Oregon, what do you fear them? What do you want SC to do if you're Oregon? And to me, it's inside zone with Keenan Christian. If you're Oregon, you have Jordan Scott as a defensive tackle. You've got athletic, very functional, great, very good at defensive ends. I mean, that's what you want if you're Oregon. Oregon, you don't want them, you don't want SC to do the, to all the concepts they have, or I guess the, the, the various kind of nuances they can do with their concepts, which we saw in the first half have some success. To me, that's what instills the most fear, and so I had no problem with this. Okay, so we're in agreement that we're not criticizing the offensive game plan. We're not totally up in arms about the kickoff. But, and this is a point I should have made back in the Clay Helton discussion that I want to make now. His whole 
emphasis in the offseason and preseason was on, quote, the discipline of the game. He was not going to be – he was going to be detached from the offense and the defense, and his focus was, I've got to get this team disciplined. We're not going to make dumb mistakes. We're not going to get dumb penalties. And it hasn't been every game, but it's been too often, and it reared its head again in this game. Now, Oregon ended up with more penalties. Oregon had 12 for 157, which is crazy. But USC had eight penalties for 92 yards. And if you look at the rankings, they're near the bottom of the Pac-12. They're they're bad nationally, really bad nationally. The main thing that Clay Helton set to fix and clean up has been as much of a problem as ever. And that has to be a further indictment on and part of the referendum on the need for change, I guess, at this point. If, if you're committing... If you're going to be so vocal and out there saying, I am going to fix this, we are not going to be plagued by this, and then you continue to be plagued by that, then that speaks to you not being able to fix problems in your program. Is that, yeah. is that too harsh? or uh, I, just, I think a lot of people see it that way at this point. Yeah. No, to me, I, to me, there's one aspect of the game that always sticks out to me. It stuck out to me a little bit when I played there, and it's definitely the case with with this team. and. Uh, some people might counter and say, oh, Max, they're just celebrating and having fun. But to me, I can't stand when the guys make a play, make a sack, make a tackle, whatever, and they always got to get up and do something, say something, do something to the opponent, whatever, all that. Like, I don't get it. You're four, you're five and three at the time when they were doing this. Uh, I saw Drew Richmond like chirping at the Oregon defensive tackle in the red zone. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is you're not at Oregon's seven and one or they were rolling like I don't care if you're uh, if you're up in the game like just go do your job you don't see the great teams do that and the counter to that and I lived in that locker room was ah what about the U and their heydays and kind of all that the chirping and the swagger man you gotta have swagger but I don't buy that at all when you're five and three you do your job you celebrate with your teammates and you get back and you do it again the great teams you just don't see that you don't see that out of the Alabamas you don't see that out of Ohio State's in large part. You don't see the 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 finger wagging. I know they're not finger wagging, but that type of vibe, I just I can't stand it. Um, and to me, it, that kind of that that discipline esque. Like the, and I always, I brought up last week, but like the Kanai Malga fifteen yarder. Sure, he's excited. That is unacceptable. There should be like a culture in your within your program where like. There is a sense of fear where like if I do this, then this happens, and I, I don't think. I'm not going as far as like Clay Hilton's a pushover like that. That's I know fans think that that's that's not the case, but I think there is a subconscious element to a lot of these players where they know that at the end of the day they can at the end of the day the punishment is not so harsh that they can kind of get away with it. And I can't stand that stuff. I think it establishes a culture of very it's very volatile that's probably the best word to put it where you're getting so high in the first quarter when things are rolling and then the second a team gets a pick six or the second they get a kickoff return it's like oh we don't got this swagger and we don't got this up and all that like to me it just you establish a program of such volatility that sure celebrate all wins I know that's a big John Baxter thing but man I want guys that say, I made this sack. I was supposed to make that. Let's get back. I don't right. got to do the whole freaking show my tattoos and show how tough I am, all that. That part I can't stand. And I think uh, it gets back to a little bit of culture stuff. And I think it's more of a, it's a byproduct of, of something that's been going on for years. That I mean, shoot, you, you could even point back to even pre-Helton pre, uh, era that's something he may have inherited, uh, if we're being honest, that it's little stuff. And like I said, people are always going to counter me with, oh, you got to have that C swagger. Eh, I'm not in that camp. Show me some wins. Show me some production first. Then you can, get, then you can go do that. Well said. Well said. And, and this will be the, the second final word on the, uh, on the Clay Helton discussion. I, I think – the ultimate verdict on why change is needed is that he's been unable to fix the problems within his program. 
And yeah, and let me let me sorry, let me just jump in right there. Uh, and I, I I'm with you there, and I want to hone in on one point. I said I think because everyone's gonna get on Clay Helton with this one right there. I think this has been an SC issue, for lack of a better term, for the past decade, where all these got all these recruits, my recruiting class. Shoot, I was part of the whole deal. You come into SC and you think you are the Pete Carroll days. You think you are the Pete Carroll era, where you can be a Taylor Mays, that's an absolute badass, or you can be just whoever, the Reggie Bushes or whatever, and you're trying to live in that. It kind of happened in the Kiffin area. It kind of happened in the Sark area where you're trying to kind of piggyback on that success. And I think it's finally come to a point where a decade later, we're kind of saying, all right, that's no more. SC, we got to go earn it. We can't just be the swaggy big recruits that say, hey, just because we have the SC jersey, we can go do something. I think it's finally come to a point in the Clay Helton era that I don't think started in the Clay Helton era. And to your point, that's why I jumped in. I don't think Clay's been able to fix those issues. And I think as a result, at the end of the 2019, we're, we're, we're probably going to say, we're, we're probably going to see a, a hit, the, hit the refresh button kind of thing. What's frustrated fans the most in that regard is, is is they feel there hasn't been an accountability, and they've been on on me and the rest of the reporters all season to keep asking about the penalties. He, he talked all off season about being a disciplined team, and they're not. At a certain point, there's just there's no point in asking him because we know what he's going to say, and he's he's going to skew it positive. He's going to say, well, actually, if you, if you look at it in this way, we're we're doing less in this regard, and it's really been a, you know a couple games here and there. When we ask him about, it, he goes. Especially the the celebration penalties, the Kanai Nalga one, the other one from that game. He goes, you know, if that happens again, that that guy's going to be on the sideline talking to me afterward. That's great, and that and that did happen with Elijah Griffin after he got his uh, personal foul penalty. He stood on the sideline and talked to Clay, but it hasn't stopped anything. So yes, that action is happening, but the consequences that come with it don't seem to resonate or matter to the guys because they keep doing it again. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and a lot of it's it's. And it's, it's not as maybe uh, contractual as I'm making it out to be in terms of you do this, you get 200 up-downs or something like that. To me, it's, it's an element of like a cult, the culture you've established over the course of five years ago where this young guy learns from this older guy and the way that he goes about his business, that kind of thing. And so it's not necessarily a direct you do this, this happens kind of thing. Sure, that's the part of it. But to me, that's kind of why I keep talking in these five, ten-year terms where it feels like it's been something that's built up in the culture and kind of the foundation of things where there might be a little – it's not as uh, whatever that word is where as it should be. Um, but, no, your, your, your point's spot on. And, and, to, and, and to Clay's, like, I don't know if credit's the right word, but, I mean, he, he's getting a lot of questions that, like, I don't even know how I would answer him. Because at the end of the day, like, if he knew the answer, he would have fixed it years if not months ago kind of thing and he's trying i mean it's we can't keep saying the same thing but he's have to i mean there, there's no good answers at this point which is tough but i guess that's his job yeah I, listen I, he he was given a chance to try to fix the, the problems in this program this season i have no doubt that he poured everything he had into that and did it the best way that he thought possible okay I, again i i like clay a lot as a person it would have been a great thing for USC if he had proved to be the coach they needed, and because he's, he's a great representative for the university, he's a he's an easy guy to root for. But you just have to be objective and and say this program is not trending in the right way. The changes have not been effectual, and that's where we're at. Anyways, that's that was uh, round two of the Clay Helton discussion, and we will leave it there because there are more things I want to get to. And I want to play off a term you used a little bit ago. You used the volatility of this team, of this program. And that's what I'm curious about now. USC's 5-4. and four. They're, As we talked about at the top, their Pac-12 hopes are not officially done, but essentially done because Utah got past its last tough hurdle with a win over Washington last week, and they should be able to, uh, to roll to that Pac-12 South title. Last year, this team was also 5-4, and four, and continued going off a cliff the rest of the way to finish five and seven. I don't know what to expect here. I don't know. And this is where I really want to lean on you because, because you can speak to the player mentality and I don't even know how to put it, but how, how you find that motivation to be as locked in as you need to be when you know your goals are probably no longer in front of you. And in this case, 
everyone's talking about your coach probably being fired in a few weeks. What do you expect from these players? And take us into that into that mindset and and how much of an obstacle that is to get ready to play these last three games. Yeah, I think one thing that jumps out to me is it's probably going to help that they're going to go on the road. So you'll get out of the whole, I don't know, you can kind of buy into the mentality of it's us against the world type thing. And uh, SC fans, we love you. You got high standards. But I think in the event that things went bad again in the Coliseum, you could get the boo birds, you could get the negative vibes, all that kind of thing. So I think in that regard, it's probably healthy. SC's going on the, on the road for two weeks. But to me, I think one thing is, I played on teams where this chaos was kind of happening in early October kind of thing. And so the regard that there's only three games left, you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, which is not good that you have to frame it in that regard, but it is good in the fact that this doesn't have to be something that is like lingered forever, forever. But yeah, I think it's tough. I think a lot of it gets down to leadership. I think I've touched on it in bits and pieces and SC podcasts I've done in the past, but in 2016, when chaos hit the, hit the wall, we had great leaders on that team. And it's nothing you'll ever measure with stats. It's nothing ever fans will see. It's, it's a culture you established back in March. It's a culture you established through captains and, and kind of the workouts they do in the summer. It's something that happened many, many months ago that I think will show its face now, whether they have kind of the leaders and the guys to kind of keep people in, in check. I've been part of SC teams where guys have chirped and said, like, screw the coaches. It's, for, it's us against the wall. you got to do your job. And to me, that was an absolute terrible mindset. It was awful. And as a result, some of our teams kind of faded that way. Versus, like, again, in the 2016 season, it was, hey, let's band together. Hey, this is, this is what we got. Let, let's make the most of it. Like, let's, let's do our job for the guy to the left and the right of us kind of thing. That mindset, that's a lot healthier. I also think this year is more favorable because, I mean, last year – they had to finish. I mean, they got upset by UCLA on the road. That was never fun. And they had to finish a very good Notre Dame team. So that, that was a very hard ending. This year, it should be a lot easier. I know it's easier said than done, but Arizona State's not in a good place like we thought they, that some people thought may have, they may have been a, like a month ago. And then Cal, it sounds like Garbers will probably still be out. They're not a good football team right now. So I think in that regard, it's favorable. I still think there's a ton of talent on this team. I think this team probably beats last year's team. And so I think those factors are are working in SC's favor for why 2019 will be different than 2018. And that's my expectation too. I set the table objectively there, but I do think that that this is a better team than last year. I am going to give the benefit of the doubt to to these guys that they they are still motivated and locked in and that these games mean something to them they want to finish strong especially having gone through last year and knowing what that aftertaste is like and knowing what it felt like to be five and seven and then the worst usc team in in 19 years i i don't think anyone wants to go back to that place they spent a whole off season trying to change the narrative and the culture and 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 get a reset it hasn't been the reset that we expected or many hoped for, but I still think that the motivation is going to be there to not repeat the finish of last year. So I would expect that they will play their best the rest of the way, and it is a favorable schedule. I wouldn't be surprised to see them win out. I'm not. Yeah, gonna I, I also w- think wager money on that. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, no, I also think, I think one uh, one factor that probably differs this regime from others. If you are saying the the ending is inevitable is that most of those players on that team like Clay Helton, right? They, yeah. like, they, they, they can rally for him. I mean, most guys I mean, like him and whatnot. You can't necessarily say that the same thing about uh, Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin. And Lane was great to me. Sark, that was a weird ending, not going to lie. So I don't say anything against him. But the reality is those regimes, you had po- very big pockets of the team that were waiting for those guys to get out. I don't think that's the case this year. I think even if... They maybe relieve Helton of his duties or maybe do one of those things where he can finish out the year or something like that. I think it's a, it's a world where a lot of these guys will rally for Clay Helton in that regard just because that's kind of the mold he's made with a lot of these players. So I, I think it isn't as dark and gloomy as, it, as people might think it could be with only three weeks left, but by and large, not a fun position to be in. That's a really good perspective. It's, it's interesting that you had such different experiences with the way that the team viewed the coaching staff and, and, and fed off it. And I, I agree with you. I, I think that to the end, Clay Helton 
has this team, people are going to look at that Oregon game and say that they quit on him. I, I don't think that was the case. I think that they just that the game got away and the white flag was was raised for that for a reason. But I don't think they've quit on Clay. I think they will play hard for him the rest of the way. They, they definitely respect him. So we'll see what happens. All right, we're going to pivot off football, off the game. I want to close with a discussion about the incoming AD. Uh, again, all the reports came out nationally and locally on Friday that Cincinnati Athletic Director Mike Bone will be the next AD at USC. It was interesting because he was not one of the rumored names at all during the process. You heard about the Washington State AD. You heard Jeremy Foley from Florida, the former Florida AD. His name was tossed out there late in the process. You you heard Gene Smith at Ohio State just because of the Urban Meyer connection. You never heard about Mike Bone. And it surprised many. I think a lot of people had to rush to Google on Friday and say, see, who who is this guy? Well, he's been I know AD. I did. Yeah, I, I, I did too. I did too. I let's not I was driving time. in L.A. and was searching uh, Twitter. <laughs> How do you say Bond? Where's the H in that? What the heck? Google? All right, sweet. And I uh, had to get some tidbits on him. <laughs> I've definitely mispronounced it. I, I know at this point. I, I'm hoping I've got it right this time. But um, we haven't even met the guy yet. But anyways, it, you know, he hasn't been officially announced by USC. He hasn't been introduced. So this is just what's been reported. And uh, But it's been reported everywhere. And he's been in A.D., a bunch of places. He started at Idaho. He's the AD there from 98 to 03. San Diego State for a few years. Colorado from 05 to 13. He actually got uh, forced out at Colorado. It wasn't a good ending there. He came out very strongly in the media and said he didn't understand it. He, he felt that they were on the right track. He goes to Cincinnati. He's been there since 2014. And USC fans may think, man, why do we want a guy who was fired by Colorado, a lesser Pac-12 school. Well, I'm going to be more glass half full and pivot it and say there's, there's a lot to like here. You like that this guy has experience. You, you had to have an experienced athletics administrator in this position now finally turning the page from the Mike Garrett, Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan formula and getting an actual experienced athletic director. They got that. You wanted most fans wanted a guy who was not from the USC well, who could come in totally detached with a fresh look, a fresh vision, a fresh analysis, and you're gonna get that from Mike Bone. And three, I think I would say that yeah, the Colorado thing maybe is not overly encouraging. His football hires there didn't pan out. He he, he hired three coaches who were all unsuccessful and fired. But his greatest success is his most recent stop, Cincinnati. He hired Luke Fickle, who's on his way to a second straight 10-win season with the Bearcats. Mike Bone is known as a very uh, engaged guy in the community, a great fundraiser, helped raise their uh, capital for their basketball renovation project. It was $87 million. So he checks a lot of the boxes you want. You want someone that that is going to connect with the community here and, and with the boosters and be able to get people reinvested in USC athletics and and you want someone who knows what he's doing, has experience and someone that is coming from the outside and is part of this just overhaul of USC as a university and an athletic program. Max, after you did your research, you're, you're Googling, what was your initial takeaway of the hire? Yeah. First off to me, and I'll go on record just in the, in the case this falls through but to me, it's a little sketchy that it hasn't been announced when everyone said it was happening Monday and we don't have a word yet. So in the event that something happens, I'm just putting that out there just because. Just, just sure. but, uh, but second, I think the one thing that stuck out to me with the research I did is to a T, everyone mentions how personable he is. And if you're listening to this podcast, I mean, you know how important with the, S, with the Trojan family, with all, kind of all the networking and all like the events and the big donors and all that stuff that goes in. He reminds me of a guy that, that could play really well with the SC community. It sounds like he goes to all the events. He, he's big with kind of not working the crowd has a, has a negative connotation, but that kind of vibe. There's a, I mean, there's like you said, Ryan, he was able to raise all that money. To me, those kind of go hand in hand. So I think in that regard that he's an outsider, to me that was the one box you checked. I think everyone's saying that, right? There was no way you could do internal or former player or any of that. 
But the second box that to me it's encouraging is he seems like a really vibrant guy, a man of the people type vibe is kind of what you're hearing. So I think that's encouraging to kind of ring lead a lot of these people back into the athletic community to make sure he's kind of upbeat and, and kind of provide a new life there. And I just think that's a big role of the position that he kind of does voluntary, voluntarily and it seems like he likes it. I think that's encouraging. I think, yes, the Colorado thing, to me, it, it's still like, wait, what? Like, I'm still, that, that's, that, that's still kind of a wait-and-see element. But I will say he's been part of a lot of football hires. And so I think it gives him experience in terms of kind of knowing what to gauge, just experience to draw back on. But it, it's, it's weird. Imagine a job, right? Like, Ryan, me and, you, me and you, we get to do two podcasts a week. We get multiple opportunities. If we mess up or something, we might be able to edit it out. You talk about this guy's hire, it's going to be – I mean, his job comes down to one decision, this football coach. Like, that's well, it. That it, is it. it. Immediately, too. His, his first Im- act is going to define his legacy at USC. That's crazy. Imagine having a job where your entire – just – he could be here for three years, but no one cares. It's what happened – What the, the decision he makes in likely December or late November of 2019, the football coach, will determine his – livelihood which is just a wild concept when you talk about uh just careers in our country but uh yeah I I think to me even outside of the Oregon game even outside of BYU and some of those other losses or whatever I think the the reality is when you bring in a new AD when you bring in new leadership in any walk of life I think people kind of kind of envision that you that new leadership is going to bring his guy with him and bring someone else in that kind of vibe I think that was always working against Clay Helton, and that was another factor at play. But he seems to kind of check the boxes, but it's kind of a wait-and-see game, I guess. Well, we haven't said it, but we've more or less said it, that everything he is is what Lynn Swan wasn't. Accessible, engaging in the community, experience in the position, coming from the outside. So it's a very clear message that of what USC and their leadership detected when they forced Lynn out this fall and knew that they, need, they needed to have in replacing him. And interim AD Dave Roberts, in, in his interview with me last month and his comments on Trojans Live last week, more or less said the same thing. He, he didn't say we've got a – we can't have another Lynn Swan. He didn't put it in that way. He was deferential and respectful. But he said, it's clear we've got to have a guy who's experienced in this job and can run a multifaceted operation, and has proven he can do it. With the football coach hires. Yeah, the, the one I, thing I'll add, too, I think also is, I think it's important for SC fans to kind of note, like, th- th- this, was, this doesn't appear to be SC's first choice. It, it feels like they kind of went down. I saw sure. rumblings of Oklahoma's AD, which ironically SC could have got four years ago, I believe, if, my, if, that, if that timing's right. That name was up there with Lynn Swan. Virginia Tech's guy, Clemson's guy, those kind of things. And uh, I think it's a reminder for SC fans that this job might not be as enticing as a lot of us kind of think it should be. It might, it's not the golden star necessarily. Don't get me right. Don't get me wrong. It's still a fantastic place. But I think with all the scandals and all the choppy waters right now, it's, it's still a very good job. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think it's necessarily the home run that a lot of SC fans might think it is. I think the football job... The coaching job is more appealing than the athletic director job. I think you're right. This is a tough situation. You're walking into a cleanup and a rebuild. And for some guys, that's invigorating. That's exciting. But if you're the, you know, the guys you mentioned and you've, you're entrenched at a school and you've been successful and you're comfortable, I don't know that I want to give that up to go try and fix someone else's problem. So I'm not surprised at all by that. Yeah, all, all the national college football reporters mentioned that the USC was rebuffed by a, a bunch of bigger names. And I'm not surprised that that's the way it played out. Now, with, with Mike Bone, you don't have to be overwhelmed by the hire. You don't have to say, man, that's a home run. I would just be open-minded because, again, he checks a lot of the boxes. And just like we talked about with Keaton Slovis having to learn on the job, well, it's the same for an athletic director. I'm sure he learned lessons from his time at Colorado, and he's probably a better AD than he was a decade ago. And the fact that he was, by all accounts, successful in every regard at Cincinnati and and really liked and appreciated there, that, to me, is more important than what happened a decade ago at Colorado. As far as the, the failed coaching hires at Colorado, hiring 
a football coach for that program is a lot tougher than hiring a successful football coach at USC. He's going to have a lot more reach here. Let's just say it isn't Urban Meyer. For whatever reason, it doesn't come together. He's going to have a lot more reach and options and people who see this as a major career move where he's going to be filtering through very good candidates, not trying to find a diamond in the rough like he would have been with the Buffaloes. So I, I don't extrapolate that experience too much into what into forecasting what he's going to do here. I would just be open-minded about it and say, at, at least we we checked these boxes and it was a thorough process. They put a lot of time into to deciding over on him versus whoever the other finalists were. So let's just give some benefit of the doubt and, and see if it works out and hope it works out. Yeah, no, I'm right with you. To, to my final thought on this, I think it's it's always a good sign when you're surfing Twitter and the Cincinnati faithful are upset that he's leaving. I think that's always a good sign. And it's yep. uh, the, the brutal world we live in. But as I see fans, we're, we're privileged, I guess you could say, to say that we can poach anyone. And we're always kind of the, the hunter rather than the guy being hunted. But that, to me, is a great sign. And, yeah, I think his last hire, his most recent hire, is Luke Fickle. And he's a hot, hot name in the coaching world. So I think it's if, if, if you buy into the what have you done for me lately, and as he learned from kind of what he's done, to me that's a great sign. All right. Well, good podcast. We covered a lot of ground there. A lot of grounds. It, it was important topics. It, even though these dominoes haven't fallen yet, it, it was time to address them. Uh, I thought there was some great perspective brought uh, by Max today. As always, buddy, enjoyed it. I did as well. Maybe uh, maybe the next time we talk Thursday, it'll be uh, we'll have some more news, whether it's AD, whether it's head coach. You never know, I guess. Every, every, every day that goes by, I'm sure they'll be uh, closer to, to, to some sort of news. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm on edge here every day for news on the speed. Yes, yeah. you, you got to stay up 24 hours a day. You got to have your, fo- your phone on. Uh, can't have your phone on silent. That's funny. I forgot about that. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we'll come back to you on Friday. We will preview the Arizona State game, but we'll also branch out other topics and have some fun with it. So tune back in. As always, thanks for listening to the Trojan Talk.